I think it was um, the summer of 2017, and uh, I'm a basketball fan. Some of you may not be, but I'm a, I like basketball. And I'm an old Celtics fan because of Larry Bird. Yeah, Larry Bird, Larry Legend. And if you don't know who Larry Legend is, go watch some YouTube videos, and you'll see what basketball is meant to look like. Uh, but, but, but I'm a Celtics fan, used to be at least. And in the summer of 2017, the Celtics got Kyrie Irving, uh, the, the point guard from the Cleveland Cavaliers. And, and then they also signed Golden, or, or Gordon Hayward. Gordon Hayward played at Butler and went to the championship game his freshman year. He was, a, he was an all-star for the Utah Jazz. And, and it looked really promising for the Celtics. And uh, in the first quarter... Hayward came in and dunked the basketball and landed wrong and had one of those ugly, ugly breaks. And within five or six minutes, what was so promising was gone. Uh, all of us had circumstances like that where, where things looked so good and so promising and, and then just all of a sudden, be, before it even starts, things fall apart. Maybe it was a, a new job. You, you started the job and, and you go in and the first day you're there you think, uh-oh, this isn't going to work. Or, or maybe it was a, a relationship. Or, or maybe you bought a car. Or maybe you bought a house. But, but all of a sudden things just go terrible very quickly. Uh, I think I've shared this before. When I was in fourth grade, the teacher left the room and, and for some reason we had a, a our whole class went insane. Uh, the, the teacher was gone for like 15 minutes and nobody was in there responsible. And when she came back, we were literally in the cabinets up in the, and, and throwing things out. I mean, it, it was a riot. And I can still see that teacher's expression as she walked into the room and looked at us. And I think all of us kind of looked and thought, what in the world happened? <laughs> And we've all had circumstances like that where we, we wonder what in the world happened. This, this seemed so good, so perfect, and now all of a sudden it's just a mess. We're in this series, Into the Flannel Graph, and, and we, we began the series last week and we talked about creation. And, and we, we began with this ideal that our identities are formed by our stories. In other words, who we are as people is it's formed by our family stories, our community stories, our, 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 the stories that are, that are told to us early on in our life. And God wants to... God wants us to understand our identity in Him. And so the Bible is a series of stories that, that tells us who we are, who God is, and what God's intentions are for us. And, and these stories shouldn't just be interesting things that we read, but as we read these, these should help form our identity, who we are. And that's important because who we are determines what we do. <laughs> Teachers teach, preachers preach, plumbers plumb, dads are dads, moms are moms. We, we, what we, who we are determines what we do. And so God's trying to form our identity. He's trying to form the people of Israel's identity and in forming their identity, creating a way of life, a way of life that's different than, than other cultures. 
And so these stories have been told to people in all circumstances. They were, they were told in these books of Moses. They were told to the people of Israel as they were leaving Egypt. They were, they were slaves and now they were free. And so we, we can begin to imagine that, that Moses is telling these stories to slaves so that they can understand that they just weren't slaves that God freed. But God had a particular plan for them and God had a particular plan for creation from the beginning. They were told in their homes in Palestine. They were told when they were in exile. And then these stories have been told throughout the ages to the people of God who are Christians as they begin to try to understand how we got to where we are. See, God's story helps us find our identity as the people of God. You realize you're not just Americans. <laughs> you are the children people, the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for us together. And so we left off last week in a garden. We left off in Sabbath, in rest. We left off in this ideal of, of partners with God, with each other, uh, and with God we left off, there's no shame. You know, the, the man and woman were naked and unashamed. That's where, that's where we left off. And now we're going to get into a mess. From chapter 1 and chapter 2 to chapter 3, we began the mess. It reminds me, uh, our dog. Oh my goodness. We can leave the room and we come back and it's a mess. It's like having another... Anybody remember when toddler, you have toddlers and you'd leave the room and you'd think, how in the world did they get to that? I had Terry buy me super glue. Do you know a dog will try to eat super glue, right? And of course the dog will try to eat super glue on what? The leather couch. A mess. And that's what we find almost immediately. You know, I, I, I happen to think that, that probably Moses got to this story pretty quick when he was talking to the people of Israel because he's telling this perfect story of creation, of, of no shame, uh, of partners with God and, and this good community. And, and he's telling it to slaves in a wilderness that, that have just been redeemed from Egypt. And they're thinking in their mind, what in the world happened? And so very early on, Moses has to talk about this sad story. From the high to the low, almost immediately. Now I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I don't have verse numbers in here purposely. I want you, I encourage you to bring your Bible and read along and read in the translation that you're comfortable with. But through this series, just for the ease and just for the... Um, maybe the understanding of how this word was typically heard, I'd encourage you just to listen. L listen like you're sitting around a campfire and, and you're trying to understand if this perfect creation, how did it get to this messy circumstance that we find ourselves in now? The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? 
Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Can we stop just there? I, 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 I wonder about things like this. I, I must have too much time on my hand because I wonder about things like this. How long was this in the work? How long till the serpent came with this temptation and, and, and began to work on their doubt? Is God really good? Is God really sufficient? Because that's the temptation. Is God really sufficient for your needs? You ever been there? This temptation is not just the temptation of Adam and Eve. This is the temptation of us all. Right? I mean, all, all of us, and if not last week, next week, and if not today, tomorrow, all of us have this same temptation to, to question whether God is really good, whether God really cares, whether God is really sufficient in the circumstances we find ourselves in. See, faith draws us towards God and doubt pulls us away. And so in the midst of this story, what we're beginning to see is there is a seed of doubt that the tempter is beginning to work on. Is God really enough? Maybe as we work through that, this sermon today, maybe that's the question you need to ask yourself. Is God really enough? Is God sufficient? Is what he provides enough? You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat of it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now, now, before we go any further, this isn't about the fruit, right? We, we, we understand this. We're, we're mature enough. That this isn't about a particular fruit. It's about control. It's about power. It's about having their way. The, the, the sins that we commit are not about the sins, they're about whether we're going to say God is sufficient or I am going to have my way no matter what. God is not enough. I need more. I have to prove myself and I have to find my identity outside of God. That's what Adam and Eve is doing. They're, they're saying the identity that God's given me is not sufficient I have to make a name for myself beyond the name that God's given me. And do you see what the first emotion is? Shame. Shame. When they try to find their identity outside of God, the first thing they feel is that they're lacking and they're shame. 
When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And before we just go, and we're walking through this. Okay, we walk through it like this. Do we hide? Maybe you're ashamed and hiding now. Maybe, maybe you're feeling that sense of lack and, and maybe you're hiding from the Lord God now. Here, here's the good news in all of this. God still takes the first step. Didn't wait. He, he didn't just immediately reject, but God takes the first step. And in our lives, when we screw up, when we sin, God still takes the first step. Then the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? He, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. I told you that you were naked, the Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent Deceive me, she replied. That is why I ate. What's the first response? The first response is what? To blame? I, I, and here's another thing. I, I don't know the answer to this, but what if the first response would have been repentance? What, what if the first thing out of Adam and Eve's mouth would have been, oh, God, we're so sorry. We must stop. See, from the beginning, our fathers and our mothers <laughs> have used excuses. They, 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 they've blamed circumstances or they blamed others. And blaming others is this ultimate breakdown in community, this relationship between Adam and Eve that was supposed to be perfect in the first sin. They're already pointing their fingers at each other. It's all about self-protection. Trust is gone. And it's the same for you and I. My first instinct, oftentimes, when I sin and when I fell and when I mess up, my first instinct is to blame my circumstances or to blame other people. Anybody else like that? Amen. And I don't think that's how God wants us to live. I think God wants us to live with this ideal of when we, when we mess up, we own it. If you sin and confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins. This isn't about making excuses. It's about taking ownership of what we've done. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you lift. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and I will add hostility between the man too. I don't like snakes. Who likes snakes? Raise your hand. And between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will, desire, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. 
And the man, he said, since you've listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. And so we have this break. This break between man and creation, this break between man and woman, this break between man and God, there is this great disruption in the sin of Adam and Eve. We began this series with the idea that relationship and love are the purpose of creation. That's God's design. And sin disrupts this relationship. All that God had created is now set aside. Then the man, Adam, named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. This is always striking to me in that it's not God that names Eve, it's Adam. And so this first, this first exercise of control in relationship comes as after Adam and Eve's sin. And no longer are they identified as creations in the image of God. They are identified by what they do. You'll have kids. Your name's Eve. Isn't that kind of where we live now? That we're more identified by what we do than who we are in God? The Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit, tree, fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. After sending them out, the Lord God stationed mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. I can remember, does anybody remember those illustrated Bible stories, those illustrated Bible books that they would have the pictures? Anybody in here remember them when you were kids looking at them? And, and I can remember seeing in the different books, it was, it was such an emotional scene when, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. Seems like in most of them I saw they, they went arm in arm, although some, it looked like they were almost pointing their fingers at each other, but, but it seems like most of them they were arm in arm and, and Eve's crying and, and Adam's trying to comfort her. And they're cast out east of Eden. You ever hear that phrase, east of Eden? It's where we live. We live east of Eden, east of Sabbath, east of perfection, east of what God intended. But east of Eden, things go from bad to worse almost immediately. The, the next chapter, we have two sons, Cain and Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd. Well, Cain cultivated the ground. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. 
The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry. He looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the fields, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No, No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you'll be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment's too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. The Lord replied, No, for I will give, you, give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We have this huge disruption in creation. Can, can you think of any, any worse stories to tell so early in the story? This is chapter 4. Chapter 3 is Adam and Eve. Chapter 4, immediately we have this huge disruption where a brother kills a brother. Sin has completely disrupted relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with each other. Then later in the same chapter, we have Lamech. And Lamech apparently has killed these men because of an insult. He's been insulted. And to impress his wives, Lamech commits murder. And he sets his own protection. It's not from God, but from Lamech. He says, Cain was avenged seven times. Lamech will be avenged 77 times. You see, we're losing it pretty quickly, aren't we? Several years ago, we bought a a new used van, Kazunheit. We bought a new used van. And they had had it detailed, and it smelled good. And anybody ever been there, you know? And we put the kids in the car. And the first thing our middle one did, he was just a baby, the first thing he did was he baptized it with baby vomit. You never get that smell out of a vehicle. Spinning out of control. East of Eden, everything's going berserk. Uh, Just a few page turns. I mean, if you've got your Bible, do this. Turn. Look look at Genesis 1, 2, and then you're in 3. It's literally, okay, great, great, ooh. A few page turns until you get to the flood. Chapters 1 and 2 is creation. 
Chapter 3 is Adam and Eve's sin. Chapter 4 is Cain and Abel and Lamech. Chapter 5, there's not a lot of bad stuff in it. You know why? It's genealogy. And then chapter 6. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. The Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals, that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I'm sorry that I've ever made them. Do you see how far we've come? How far have we come from? And God looked at his creation, and it was good. We've come just in a few short pages, a few short years in the story from God saying it's good to all it is is bad and I'm going to destroy it. But in the midst of this increasing chaos, we have these amazing words of hope. They're the kind of words that they stick out in the Bible. They're the kind of words that if we were shouting people, and I know you guys are, you guys are Columbus people. You don't shout unless Ohio State beats Michigan. In the church, you're all prim and formal. But if we weren't, this should cause us to get hankies out of our pockets and wave them in the sky. I heard of a guy that shouted so much in church that his dentures flew out. You know what he did? He reached down and picked him up and just kept shouting. That's kind of weird churches I went to growing up. But tell you what, it was kind of fun though. They're shouting words in the midst of this. But Noah found favor with the Lord. Aren't you glad that God still gives his favor in a world that's full of people that are increasingly evil, that it seems like their mind is bent on their own way and they have no concern for God? Our God is still, still shows his favor because of a few. So Noah builds an ark. Seven pairs of clean animals, one pair of unclean animals, And then there's 40 days of rain and all the land living creatures are destroyed. We have this reversal of creation, 150 days of flood and it's covered once again. God has reversed what he's done. And Noah releases a raven that comes back. And he releases a dove, and the dove comes back with an olive leaf, and then he releases the dove again that doesn't come back. And God allows the waters to recede. And Noah found himself on the top of the mountain and opens the ark, and there's a rainbow. This covenant, this, this promise from God not to destroy the land in this way again. See, this is where we live. We live post Adam and Eve. We live post Cain and Abel. We live post 
Noah, and a flood. We, we live east of Eden. We, we live in this place where the temptation is to try to find our own identity, that, to, to, that, that often we lose who we are, and we, we fight to prove ourselves. We self-protect. Sometimes we sin, and we break community. Been corresponding. I have a, a team that's been working with me on sermons, and and we've been doing some things together as we work through this. And and David Smith, David has a master's degree in divinity. You're, you're master divine, David. And uh, yeah, and uh, so we've been talking back and forth, emailing back and forth, and, and he talked about the word ego. That that it seems like, and, and I think that's right. That there's an ego problem. There's an ego problem with Adam and Eve. There's an ego problem with Cain and Abel. And there's an ego problem with us. That we have to prove our own self-worth. And we have to be God. When we attempt to be God, what we create is not good, but what we create is chaos. See, in, 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 in this account, we, we begin with creation. And, and God has moved from void and empty and chaotic to perfect order. And humankind, in a few short chapters, has moved this perfect order to empty and void and nothingness. Karl Barth, the, the German theologian, from the uh, 20th century said nothing nothing not, let me say that right nothingness is that which God does not will in other words he's saying if we choose anything other than what God has in mind for us we end up with nothing and we choose nothing this week it was interesting as I, I, I was preparing for this, this sermon, I, I was going through Jeremiah, and Jeremiah 2.5 says this, What fault did your fathers find in me? They strayed so far from me, they followed worthless idols and became wor worthless themselves. Do you see it? See, in our striving to be somebody's, we actually choose to become nobodies. Adam and Eve, and they're striving to be something, to be more. They chose to be nothing. Cain, in his fear about his identity and who he thought he was and how God perceived him, and his killing of Abel became nothing. And it's the same for us. What are you striving for? What are you creating? See, God invites us to find our identity in Him. To, to not feel the need to prove ourselves, to allow Him to be God, God alone, to be creator, and to live within His provision and, and accept that His provision is enough. Are you trying to be something independent of God? Or are you finding your identity in Him? There is something in the dark part of this story that's important to see. In the darkest parts of this story, 
God pursues and protects his creation over and over again. After the sin of Adam and Eve, it's God who comes calling. It's God who clothes them. It's God who weaves a sacrifice into the initial story. When Cain kills his brother, it is God who puts a mark on Cain to protect him. It's God pursuing. It's God protecting. It's God who provides Noah with a warning and an ark. I believe it's God who through Noah preaches a message of salvation even to people who reject it. You realize there was more room on that ark than just for Noah and the animals. God built an ark big enough. You know, that's what I like. I'm going to be very theological, theologically proud. That's what I like about an Armenian theology. We believe that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for the entire human race. That whosoever means whosoever. That, that, that there's no one in this room that is predestined for hell, that God invites you and bids you come. That no matter what you've done or where you've been or how much of a failure you think you are, there's still space for you. That's good news. In the midst of the chaos, God provides an ark and then he remembers Noah. So God is pursuing and God is protecting. Maybe today, and as I thought about this message, maybe there's, there may be someone in here that, that's, can we bring lights down just for a moment? We're going to give you some space to pray. And uh, we were going to try to do communion every week, but I was concerned because I know these, you know, you're talking about Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah. That's a lot of stuff. Like that, That's like a whole year. And I'm trying to preach it in one sermon. But I think about our altars. You know, there was a concept in, in the Old Testament uh, at the time of Jesus where, where, where if someone did something that was worthy of death, they would come and grab hold of the horns of the altar. You, you see the threads of that in... Um, and, and, and the story of, of the hunchback at Notre Dame, that there's sanctuary. You know, there's this ideal in, in, a, in a, a Catholic cathedral that somebody could come and, and claim sanctuary and they couldn't come in and take them. There, there's this whole ideal with, with an altar. And, 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 and these are different type altars. These, these aren't, we don't sacrifice any animals on these altars. And all God's people said, yeah. yeah. These altars are a place where you can come and grab hold and find salvation and forgiveness and identity and protection in God. See, it's possible that you could be in church and still be living east of Eden. That that, that you've not really grasped that God wants you to find your identity in Him. That, that, that maybe you've not let go of some mistakes. And 
this morning would be just a good moment. Just come and say, God, here I am. I'm grabbing hold of you. I'm sick of the chaos. I'm sick of the nothingness. Lord, I'm sick of trying to be somebody. I just want to be yours. I'm going to say a quick prayer with you. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. I'm not going to twist your arm. I just ask you to be obedient. As God speaks, if, if he says, hey, I want you to go to the altar, and you, you don't feel like there's anything that you know, know of, but you just feel that urge, just do it. You know, the truth is, God may be prompting you as much for yourself or as much for your neighbor as he is for you. And so I just encourage you to be, be obedient as he prompts. So I'll pray with us, and then Pastor Bob's going to come and close us in prayer in a couple minutes. Lord, right now we, um, we need you. We can't do this on our own. And Lord, we, we pray that you'll help us to find our identity in you, to let go of all these, these things that we do to try to prove ourselves. Lord, oftentimes the chaos we live in is just the result of life. But Lord, you give us peace in the midst of chaos if we cling to you. But Lord, truthfully, sometimes the chaos we find in our life is a result of us. That we've chosen to strive after things, to pursue things that are less than what you have to offer. Help us now, Lord, just to be obedient in these few moments. And as your spirit leads, may we follow.